Today I'll be walking through uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 11, verses 17 through 34, the second half of what Ezra preached last week. And here Paul is addressing his, his, his young church uh, in the manner in which they worship. Uh, he's addressing the, the conduct of their Lord's Supper. And, and, and Christ gave us two ordinances. He said, you know what? All believers need to be baptized. And the second thing he said was that every believer should participate in the Lord's Supper. And unfortunately, the Corinthian church has sort of lost sight of the purpose and the meaning of the Lord's Supper. They've lost sight of the reverence uh, of the celebration of the communion. You see, back then, what they would do, they'd have a love feast. And that feast would occur before they actually had communion. Before they celebrated the Lord's Supper, they would have the love feast. Everyone would come together, rich and poor, and, and, and all kind of economic status. They'd bring their meals together, and they'd share, share a meal together. Fellowship with one another and, and, and a time of benevolence and community. But somehow along the way, uh, the fellowship got distorted. The unity of the body got corrupted. And they began not to focus on Christ, but again began to focus on themselves. Um, and Paul was not happy. Uh, last week, if you remember in the beginning of chapter 11, Paul said to the Corinthian church, boy, I, I can commend you guys because you're, you're following my teachings and you're lifting me up in prayer. But this week, he says, I can't commend you for the way you're acting. I can't commend you for the things that you're not doing that are not according to God. And just to give you a small sample of what this might feel like, imagine your wedding day. Imagine the wedding day of someone that you love. You've got all the preparation. You've got the food laid out. Um, the ceremony's over. All the pictures been taken, and it's, it's time, to, to, time to eat. Everybody's ready to celebrate, and you open the doors to the guests, and next thing you know, people start complaining. They're complaining about the food doesn't taste right. They're complaining about the portion size. They're complaining about why I have to sit next to this person or that person. They're complaining that, you know, how come I can't sit over on the other side of the table where I can sit next to my friends and not this black sheep of the family? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You've been to weddings like that? Cousin John and Aunt Martha are, are beginning to drink just a little bit too much and getting a little sloppy drunk and distorting the party, the celebration, because they, they can't hold their wine. As a matter of fact, the wine was meant for the toast of the bride and groom, but they've drunk it all by now. People are complaining that there's no vegan meal available. <laughs> Some people are asking, why did that person get invited? They haven't been part of our family for a long time. Negative, negative comments about the decorum of the room. You know the people I'm talking about. They forget about the celebration, the purpose of the celebration, the fact that you're coming to celebrate a holy union with the bride and the groom. But yet they're focused on the food and the drink and the seating arrangements and the decorum of the room. What if someone actually gave their life for those same invited guests? And those same guests came to the celebration with these same funky attitudes. Well, someone did give his life. And his name was Jesus. 
He was the sacrificial lamb of God. And they were coming to his supper with these attitudes. That's what Paul is trying to address here with his young church. Division at the holy table. Let us pray. God, we thank you right now. We praise you. We give you glory. We give you honor, O oh God. We ask for the presence of your Holy Spirit in your temple, O oh Lord, that we would feel a touch from you, God, that the word, God, would be spoken, God, with clarity and with truth, God, and it would touch our hearts, O oh God. God, I ask you right now to hide your servant behind the cross, O oh God, that you would use me for your glory, God, that nothing would come out of my mouth that's not of you, O oh Lord. God, help us, O oh now, God, to have the word fall on fertile soil, God, that we would be changed and transformed, God. We thank you. We praise you for what you're going to do on this day, God. Have your way in our souls. In Jesus' mighty name, we say amen. amen. So we're going to be looking at these 17 verses and at the end of chapter 11 in 1 Corinthians. And we'll start with verse 17 through 22, and it says this. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because you, you come together. It is not for the better, but for the worse. But in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not, that the Lord, not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead of his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Paul says, I believe in part. Why? Because the church's past behaviors have sort of told him where they are. And what he's heard is probably true. What's supposed to be a coming together for the betterment of the Christian community has made things just worse. He says he's heard. You see, the word was out. God's people were looking more like the world they came from than the world they belong to now. The word was out because the world watches us. They know when we're not acting according to the things that we say we believe in. And they're quick to point it out to us when we come up short. Oh, you call yourself a Christian. So we must be mindful Unlike the Corinthians, they were beginning to look more like the culture from which they were delivered from. And sin had creeped back into the church. Somebody say old habits are hard to die. Some things from our past keep haunting us. But praise be to God that we have a Savior who has delivered us from all those things that have bound us in the past. For the Corinthians, that which was meant to be holy that was meant, which was meant to be holy is now resembling a lavish banquet with drunkenness that was common to the world they came from. Paul says, you do not come to eat the Lord's Supper, but to go ahead of one another, not to look down on one another, which they were doing, status conscious, wondering who was going to sit where. The wealthy now ate the meal first, leaving the leftovers for the poor, leaving the leftovers for the slaves filling their stomachs with the best cuts of meat while other people went hungry. Factions had sprung up some, and some were probably still holding on 
to their theological differences, probably separating themselves around their beliefs, things around whether your head should be covered or whether you should eat food that was offered to idols, separating themselves because some followed Paul, some followed Cephas, some followed Apollos, and some followed Christ. The enemy loves to create division in our church. He knows if he can divide us, then he can conquer us. He knows if he can divide us, that we can't stand together. But even with the factions that rise up in the church, Paul says this. God allows them to rise up. God allows the friction to rise up in the church. Why? So that those that are truly seeking Christ, those that are truly pursuing him, can be a light unto that dark place. Paul said, if you're coming here to eat, if that's all you're coming for, just eat at home. He said, if you're coming here to drink, you can always get drunk at home. Paul was upset with his children. He was upset with their lack of unity, lack of of reverence for the Lord's Supper. He was upset because they were self-centered. And he had to repeat himself, I cannot commend you for the way you're behaving. In verse 23 through 26, he says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup. And after supper, saying, This cup is the covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you Eat this bread and drink the cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul says, this is what I received from the Lord. And this is what I've delivered to you. How Paul got that instruction, whether it was directly from Christ himself or whether he got it from the disciples, is really not the important part. The important part is he received the truth that we should partake of the Lord's Supper and that his body was broken for us and that the wine represents the blood that he shed for us. He had to remind them that the Lord's Supper was supposed to be a time of communion with Christ, a time of remembrance of the blood that he shed for us on the cross, a time to remember that his body was broken for us, a time to remember that we have hope in Jesus Christ because he is coming back again. Verse 27 through 32 says this, And whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why so many of you are weak and ill and have some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we judge When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So what's this unworthiness that Paul is talking about? Because the word of God says in Romans 3.10, he says, none are righteous, no, not one. How can we come worthy to the table When Romans 3, 23 and 24 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified solely by faith, because it's a gift from God. 
No, it's not whether or not we're worthy to be in the Lord's presence or partake of the Holy Communion. Because our worthiness comes from being clothed in the blood of Christ. Our worthiness comes from being a child of the living God. In ourselves, we could never be worthy. It's because we are covered by the blood. Paul is speaking of the condition of our hearts when we approach the Lord's holy table. Do we approach the table in a spirit of reverence and self-examination and repentance? Christ says, as often as you think of me, you see, he gives us an abundant opportunity to seek forgiveness. And every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, it's an opportunity to say, God, I'm going to leave the past behind. I'm going to leave that sin behind. I'm going to do your will. We have a choice. We can hold on to the past. We can continue to walk in the darkness. Or we can walk in the light. Paul says if we choose to hold on to our sin, if we choose not to confess our sin, if we choose not to yield to God, then we can expect his divine punishment. Punishment not meant to condemn us, but punishment to convict us, to draw us nearer to him. Hebrews 12, 6 says this, For the Lord disciplined the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. You see, he is a good, good father, and he understands that without discipline, there is no true love. So, saints, be encouraged. For the Lord's Supper is for the sinners just like you and I. It's not about our own worthiness. We're covered in the blood of Christ, so therefore we are worthy to participate. He's looking for those that are seeking to have a God that creates in him a clean heart and renew a right spirit in us. The table is available for those who have a spirit of reverence and repentance. But we have a choice. Pastor Ezra preached a couple of weeks ago. He said we can choose the path of righteousness and be fully blessed and participate in all the benefits of the Christian life. Paul says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You see, it is in self-examination when you approach the table that allows us to restore the relationship with Christ. When we look at ourselves truly and look at everything in us that needs to be corrected, that's when God can step in and do those things that we've asked. That's when he can step in and change our hearts. When we examine ourselves, truly examine ourselves, God can do a new thing in us. Looking at verse 32 through 34. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. And if anyone is hungry, let them eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. And about the other things, I will give you directions when I come. When we come together, put the other person first. 
Don't think of ourselves better than the other person. Philippians 2, 3 says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. The feast is not about the food. It's not about the drink. It's about the fellowship. It's about getting our hearts right with God. It's about ensuring unity of the body of Christ. It's about preparing us to participate in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. It's about having a spirit of sharing, a spirit of caring, a spirit of looking out for each other. Ensuring that each person's needs are being met in the body of Christ. We are encouraged to come together as members of one body, the body of Christ. But our hearts and our motives have to all be in the right place. They have to be lined up with the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that we're thinking about, everything that we want to do in the body needs to come from God. In Romans, it says that we are one body in Christ Jesus, all having different gifts and talents. We just need to embrace each other with those gifts and talents. Lift each other up with those gifts and talents. Paul is trying to get his children on the right track. Try to let them see the reverence and the celebration of what the supper really looks like. So what does that have to do with us? We don't have a love feast. We come and we take of the bread and the wine. We don't have a celebration where people can get drunk. We don't have a celebration where people can pig out. We don't have a celebration where the wealthy get to eat first. What does any of this have to do with us? So let me leave you with these three things. First, the restoration of the division in the church. Paul's main emphasis was on the division in the church of Corinthians and the different factions that formed there. And although we don't have a love feast that we participate in, we still have things that we need to be mindful of, those things that can separate us, the things that can divide us. We need to keep consciousness of what it is that the enemy is trying to use against this body. Things that would distract us from the love that we should have for one for another. Things that would divide the body whether it be race or economic status, whether it be the kind of clothes I wear or the car that I drive, whether it be whether or not I live on one side of the street or the other side of the street, we have to be mindful of what the enemy would do to try to use that against us. Whether we're for Trump or against Trump, it doesn't matter. We're one body in Christ Jesus, whether we believe in impeachment or not. We're one body in Christ. The enemy would try to deceive us, to divide the body, but we should make room for everybody at the table. Amen? Jesus said, I, the world will know us by the love that we have one for another, but there's, maybe there's somebody in the church that has offended you, or maybe you're the offender. The Word of God says we're to forgive 70 times 7. Matthew 18, 25 says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his, him, his fault. And between him and you, talk about if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. So the choice is ours. Do we want to gain a brother or do we want to hold on to the pain? 
We have a choice in this body right now. And if there's something going on that between one or another to address that. Matthew 5, 23 and 24 says this. So if, you're, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. And first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You know when you walk in and somebody's not speaking to you, that usually speaks to you that there's a problem. You know. When somebody normally comes up and gives you a big head, but this day they decide to turn their back to you, there's, there's a problem. Will you let that cancer go, or will you attack it and say, no, I, I rebuke you, I'm going to form that relationship, I'm not going to let the enemy divide us. Yes, it requires a sacrifice on our part to forgive 70 times 7. Yes, it requires a sacrifice on our part to put ourselves in harm way when we reach out to a brother that might reject us. But that's what God calls us to do, to reach out regardless, no matter how painful it's going to be. The goal is to restore the divisions of the body of Christ. Something else I'd like to leave you with is this. Let us examine our hearts. Although Paul focused primarily on the division of the body around status and wealth and economic things, what else might be lurking in our hearts that create guilt or shame when we approach the Lord's table? You see, self-reflection and self-evaluation, self-examination is something that Paul said we should all do before we partake of the Lord's Supper. And not so that we'd be weighed down, not so that we'd feel condemned, not so we'd feel dirty, but it's an opportunity to say, God, will you take this off of me? You know the thing I'm struggling with, God, will you release me from that? It's an opportunity to look deep in our souls and say, God, I know I'm having an issue with finance. I know I'm having an issue with the way I handle money. I know that I'm having an issue with food. I'm having an issue with lust. God, I need you to step in. It's an opportunity. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. He came to bring life and life more abundantly. So what I'm talking about here is not condemnation. It's about an opportunity to come before the Lord and say, I yield. Not to be weighed down and feeling like nobody loves me. Because Christ loves us unconditionally. He wants us to walk in freedom, no longer bound by sin, no longer bound by the things of the past, no longer walking in shame and guilt, but holding our heads high, knowing that God has protected us, that he's clothed us in all his righteousness, that we are truly saved and born again. No longer in bondage, no longer in chains, but free from the clutches of the enemy. And finally, remember the purpose Remember the purpose of the Holy Communion. Remember the purpose of the Lord's Supper. It is the visible representation of the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that Christ's sacrificial death paid the price for us for yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That the body of the Lamb of God was broken for me and for you and that his blood was shed on the cross for you and for me. The Lord's Supper is a reminder that we need to commune with the Lord often. 
and that he wants us to hold on to the hope that he's going to return one day. Often gives us an opportunity to come before the Lord and lay down all our cares, lay down all of our burdens. Often means getting up in the morning and spending time with God. Just to share a quick story with you, I have a, I had an aunt, she was a, somewhere around 85 years old, but she had a gift of recitation. She could remember things from the Bible. She could quote scripture, and she used to recite the whole Genesis, and, and, and she'd get down on her knees at 85 years old. She'd get down on her knees, and she'd be praying and creating man with her hands, and then when she got to the end, she'd jump up and praise God like she was a young person somewhere in her 30s, and everybody would just marvel at what she was doing. I said, Aunt Helen, tell me your story. How are you able to do that? He said, <clears throat> she said to me, nephew, I get up every morning and I commune with Christ. I said, you get up every morning and you pray. She said, no, no. I get up every morning and take communion with Christ. I partake of the bread and the wine every morning. That is where my strength comes from. That is where my help comes from. That is what gets me up off the ground at 85 years old, praising the Lord. I marveled at her. I, I used to take public transportation in the city of Philadelphia, and, and, and I'd get on the bus, and there she was, 85 years old, on her own, doing her thing. But I understood the source of her power. The source was her communion with God. The Lord's Supper is a reminder of the fellowship that we have one with another. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit, habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're encouraged to fellowship together. We're encouraged to spend time together. We're encouraged to lean on each other. That is what the word says. Riverside, lean on each other. Commune with each other. Love on each other. Continue to fellowship together with the right motive, knowing that the Lord is first. And finally, the Lord's Supper is a reminder of the saving grace of Jesus Christ unmerited favor and mercy that endures forever. It's a reminder of the blood. It's a reminder of what he did on the cross. It's a reminder of the price that he paid for us. It's a reminder of the penalty that he paid so that we could have eternal life and spend eternity with Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper. To be reverenced to self-examine, to fellowship with one another. That is the purpose of the Lord's Supper. That is what God would have us to do. And Riverside, if you think for a moment that this is a word about condemnation, then you've missed the love of God. It is a word that says he loves you, and he doesn't want you to run from the cup. He wants you to run to the cup. Because that is where 
you can be free. That is where you can find your help. That is where you can find release from the things that you struggle with. This is a church of believers he's talking to. He's saying, don't run. Come with a good heart. Come to the cup. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Amen. And amen. Thank you, God. Maybe there's somebody here today that um, doesn't really know this Jesus I'm talking about. Maybe you've been sitting here at Riverside for a long time. You've heard the word for a long time. But you have not taken that final step to say yes to Jesus. Maybe there's somebody here today that that this word speaks to them and says, you know what, I want to partake of the communion with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and you just need to say yes today. It's not too late. But tomorrow is not promised. So now is the day that you can say yes to Christ, yes to all the benefits, yes to all the freedom, no longer bound by the chains, yes to eternal life with Jesus. Let us bow our heads.